everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to subscribe to our Journey Callaway YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you right there. So have you ever tried to bargain with God? Yep, I have. Does it ever work? (laughs) Well, let's talk about it in episode two of my last 365. I think we've all tried to bargain with God. I mean, even even if you're not a Christian or maybe you don't believe in a personal God, I bet there's been some point in your life where you have tried to bargain with God to get him to do something you want him to do. It's just human nature. Sometimes our bargaining is designed to help us escape some pain. So we say things like, well, God, if you just won't let them find out about this, then I promise I'll always, or God, just don't let them give me that speeding ticket. I promise I'll never again. You know, we do things like that. Then other times, what we want God to do is a really good thing. In other words, we're bargaining with God for him to heal someone we love deeply or maybe to fix someone's circumstance that they're caught in. It may be a circumstance that wasn't even their fault. All of us have thought at times, okay, God, what do I need to do to get you to do what I want you to do? I'll pray more. You know, I'll show up to church more often. I'll give. Okay, I'll give more. I'll, I'll do that thing I know I should be doing or I'll end that thing I know I shouldn't be doing. God, if you will just, then I promise. What we're trying to do is leverage God's power for our own benefit. And again, it's human nature, and we're not the first people to do this. There's a very famous man from the first century that whether you're religious or not, you have heard of him, and he tried to get Jesus to do what he wanted Jesus to do. And when Jesus wouldn't, this guy bailed. He quit. He said, enough is enough, and he walked away. Actually, he did something a lot worse than just walk away because he was so disappointed and angry with Jesus. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you used to bargain with God, but when he wouldn't come through for you, you just decided to quit, and you walked away. And I can understand the frustration of God not doing what you think he should do and what you hope he'll do. I mean, in the past year, we have all felt that frustration and pain in different ways, haven't we? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever stopped to consider why we think we're in a position to bargain with God anyway? Maybe treating him like a trading partner isn't actually what's best for us in the first place. It definitely wasn't for the man that we're discussing today. I bet you've heard of Judas Iscariot. Judas was a pretender who turned out to be a traitor. In his mind, there were three sides to everything. There was the right side, there was the wrong side, and then there was the what's in it for me side, and that is the side that Judas focused on. As far as he was concerned, Jesus was nothing more than a means to an end. Jesus was the way to get his way. And before we're too critical, let's be honest. There is a little bit of Judas in all of us, isn't there? Just like there was a little bit of Judas in all the early disciples who followed Jesus. Matter of fact, one day, after Jesus had challenged a man he had a conversation with, he challenged him to sacrifice deeply, to give up a lot of stuff to follow him. Well, Peter asked a question of Jesus that I think all the disciples are probably thinking. If we're honest, it's a question we've all thought too. Peter said to Jesus, hey, we have left everything to follow you. And then he asked this question they probably shouldn't have asked out loud, but it was Peter, and he would do that kind of thing. So he looked at Jesus and said, What then will there be for us? Have you ever asked that version of the question to God before? Okay, if I do this, what's in it for me? God, I gave up my Sunday mornings to go to church, and I gave up that money that I could have used for myself, and I gave my time to serve there at church or the nonprofit, even though I'm so busy. God, I've given up some stuff. I've sacrificed for you. So what are you going to do for me? How are you going to bless me? Because I'm, I'm doing my end. 
of the bargain. See, that, that was the question that they were asking that day, and it's a question that Judas, quite honestly, asked every day as he followed Jesus. Jesus was always a means to an end for Judas. And the reason was because Judas had some Jewish expectations for Jesus. Now, here's what I mean. The Jewish scriptures, and we call them the Old Testament today, but the Jewish scriptures taught that one day God, their Messiah, would return to this earth and he was going to set up his kingdom here. And when he set up his kingdom, he was going to overthrow all the corrupt powers at play. He was going to create heaven right here on earth. In other words, there was going to be a world with no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no suffering. God was going to restore the world to how he originally created it to be. And anybody who had chosen to follow God would get to live here and enjoy it forever as part of God's kingdom. As the Jewish people, who were God's chosen people, they were certain that was their inheritance. They believed that was going to happen one day. And the truth is, they were right. God is going to do that one day. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. But the problem was they had their timing wrong. They thought Jesus had shown up to make that happen in the first century. And so Judas was very eager to follow Jesus because he was certain he would benefit when Jesus set up his kingdom. There's only one problem. Jesus didn't seem to hate the Romans who controlled everything, and he didn't show any interest in overthrowing their kingdom to establish his own. So Jesus didn't seem to have the focus and the passion that Judas wanted. And eventually something happened that was like the final straw for Judas. Oddly enough, it was an act of extraordinary generosity that sent Judas right over the edge. There's a passage in Matthew where he gives us an account of what happened. He said, while Jesus was in Bethany, and Bethany was this little town outside of Jerusalem, while he was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, and we don't know who that was, but apparently all of Matthew's readers did, Matthew tells us that a woman came to Jesus with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on Jesus' head as he was reclining at the table. That sounds pretty weird, doesn't it? I mean, these jars were sealed to prevent evaporation, so the only way to open it was to break the neck of the jar, and once you did that, you'd have to use it all at once. And that's what she did. Jesus is lying on his side at this low table, eating dinner, and she walks in breaks this jar open, pours all the perfume on Jesus' head, and then the aroma of this perfume fills the entire house. You can imagine everybody's wondering, what is she doing? John, who was also there, he gave us a detail in his account of Jesus' life that Matthew doesn't. He tells us this jar of perfume was worth a year's wages. Now think about that. How ridiculous would it seem for somebody to pour $50,000 worth of perfume out on somebody's head? I mean, let's cut that in half. What about $25,000? Even if it was five grand or a grand of perfume, I mean, that just seems wasteful and silly to us, doesn't it? Couldn't you do something better with that? Well, that's actually what Jesus' disciples were thinking. Matthew tells us that when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they ask? I mean, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and all of that money given to the poor. Now, that sounds like a good argument, but John in his account tells us why they really said that. Judas Iscariot is actually the one who stirred all this anger towards this woman. And the reason Judas was upset is because he managed the money that people gave to support Jesus on his travels. And he used to steal some of the money for himself. Now, how brash do you have to be to think you can steal from Jesus? It's pretty crazy, but that was Judas. Anyway, back to the story. When the disciples say this, Matthew tells us that aware of this, Jesus looked back at him and he said, why are you bothering this woman? I mean, she's done a beautiful thing to me. 
And then he made this statement. Maybe you've heard this. The poor you will always have with you, but you'll not always have me. To which they went, what do you mean? I mean, this was incredibly disturbing to them. They assumed Jesus was going to be with them forever. But Jesus continues. He says, when this woman poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. To which all the disciples are looking at each other going, what? A burial? You're going to die? I mean, you can't die. Messiahs don't die. If you die, how in the world will you set up your kingdom here on earth? And quite honestly, here was the real issue for him. If you die, what's going to happen to us? Because we have hitched our futures to you. Now, pay attention to what Jesus says next. The next thing that Jesus says, it ought to make you take the entire New Testament seriously. This is pretty phenomenal. He looks back at the disciples and he says, Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel, this story, is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? They're looking around at each other going, what story? There's no story here except a woman who just wasted a whole lot of money. And there are like 15 of us in the room watching. Nobody's going to be telling this story throughout the world. Are you kidding? How's that going to happen? But Jesus predicted that we were going to be talking about this woman and this story 2,000 years later today. How crazy is that? He didn't just predict his own death and resurrection. He predicted a lot of things that have come true. It's a pretty amazing statement, but Judas didn't care. Matter of fact, for Judas, this was the last straw for him. He decided Jesus was not going to do what Judas wanted him to do, and he was wasting his time following Jesus. And so Matthew tells us, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, well, he went to the chief priest and he asked them, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Judas was willing to trade a relationship with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Well... Some people think because he was done with Jesus and decided Jesus really wasn't the Messiah. There are other people who think maybe Judas was just trying to back Jesus into a corner, you know, get him in a position where he had to come out as the Messiah and show all his power and overthrow the Romans and set up the kingdom. Either way, Judas decided he was going to go for it. The problem was he had to watch for an opportunity to hand Jesus over because of the crowds that always followed Jesus. Caiaphas, the other chief priest of Judaism there in Jerusalem, they couldn't risk arresting Jesus around all the crowds. They didn't want to have an uprising. So they had to find a time when Jesus was isolated and when he was alone. Well, that happened just a few days later on a Thursday evening, and Judas was able to provide them the opportunity they had been waiting for. It was the Passover, a big Jewish feast, religious holiday. Jesus is in an upper room of a home. He's eating the Passover meal with his 12 disciples. And someone mentions going to the Garden of Gethsemane after the meal. And Judas immediately knows, oh, there's my opportunity. When we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, we'll be isolated. Nobody's going to be around Jesus. The problem is now Judas has got to figure out, how do I get out of this room without raising suspicion? I've got to go tell the chief priest, but I can't let them know what I'm doing. And that's when Jesus says something that I think sent chills down Judas's spine. He looks at the 12 who are sitting around that table. And Jesus says to them, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. 
Now, all the other disciples are stunned. They're, if you read the account, they're so confused. They're so upset. They're trying to figure out what it means. And they're all looking at each other and looking at Jesus going, no, not me. I'd never do that. But Judas is sitting over there thinking, uh-oh, he knows. This is going to be the end for me. I mean, how did I think I could ever pull one over on Jesus? But while all this commotion is taking place, Jesus leans over to Judas and he whispers, what you're about to do, do it quickly. In other words, Judas, I know it's you, but I am not going to stop you. It's your choice. I'm not going to override your free will. I'm going to allow you to do what you want to do. And so Judas jumps up, slips out of the room. And then Jesus looks at the rest of his disciples and he makes the strangest statement. Here's what Matthew tells us happens. He says, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Now think about that. Jesus, in essence, is saying, even in this tragedy that you're about to witness happen to me, God's going to be glorified because God's will cannot be upended. His purposes cannot be stopped. No one can force his hand, not even you, Judas. Even in the loss of the cross, Jesus won. God won. Now, here's the deal. In bargaining with Jesus, Judas was trying to control the outcome of his own journey. In trying to force Jesus to do what Judas wanted him to do, it put the full responsibility for the outcome of the journey on Judas. Judas thought he had enough power to control all of the things happening. But in the end, because he chose to trade his relationship with Jesus for a little temporary gain, well, you know, Judas ended up losing everything. And the thing that seemed to matter so much to him in the moment, the 30 pieces of silver, the Romans being overthrown, well, that wasn't worth anything in the end. Matter of fact, what Judas had left was so worthless, and he was so despondent, he took his own life. Now, here's a lesson for all of us. When we begin to bargain with God, and we've all done it, haven't we? When we resist surrendering to him, when we decide, no, 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 there's something more important to us than what you're saying, God. Well, in that moment, we are taking full responsibility for the outcome of our own journey. And God will not get in the way. you got to understand this. He will not get in the way of you or me having our own way because he values our freedom. He values our ability to choose way too much to take it from us. And to be real honest, for you and for me, bargaining feels a lot easier than surrendering, doesn't it? The problem is there's a high price to pay when we choose our own way. Over the last 365 days, this is one of those situations that I feel like I have kept butting up against time and time and time again. But there's been a truth that has helped me to stay anchored, that has helped to guide me when everything in me just wanted to bargain with God, when everything in me wanted to choose a way that seemed less painful or less difficult. And the truth is this. When we obey, God takes full responsibility for the outcome of the journey. I really do believe that. When we obey, when we say, God, I'm going to trust you and do what you say, God then takes full responsibility for the outcome, for what happens in the future. When I'm willing to say, God, as appealing as this is, or maybe as uncomfortable as this decision makes me, it's just not worth resisting you. It's not worth losing my integrity. It's not worth creating conflict between me and you. God, as scary as it is to follow you here as much as I don't want to do this, I'm just not going to bargain with you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. 
The minute you and I do that, this is pretty incredible. God says, you've just put your future in my hands, and I will take full responsibility for the outcome of your journey. You don't have to worry anymore. This, this is one of those lessons, I'm telling you, I've had to lean into a lot. This is a truth I've had to hold on to in my last 365 days. I don't have time today to tell you all the stories, but hopefully one day soon I will. And the reality is, I'm still living right now in the middle of some of these situations and circumstances where the outcome remains unknown. I'm having to make decisions today, trusting that God's going to do something even though I have no idea how he's going to do it. But here's what I do know. When I trust him, God is responsible to manage the outcome. All I have to do is choose to trust and obey. And if I make the choice to do what I think God is asking me to do, and the outcome turns out to be good, well, that's awesome. I win. I'm certainly going to be glad I trusted. But with some of these decisions I've made and I'm trusting God with it, if, what if the outcome turns out to be bad and it feels like I lose? Well, the reality is I'll still win because I'm confident I did exactly what God asked me to do. And I have no doubt that God's big enough to bring something good from it and he'll be with me in it. I'm telling you, whenever you choose to try to control things on your own, whenever you trade trusting God for security, for comfort, for selfish gain, that's a way riskier trade than just trusting him. Because at that point, you are now responsible for the outcome of your own journey. And let's just be honest, you're not that powerful and you're not that good. Neither am I. And in the process of doing all that, when you refuse to trust God, you lose the confidence of knowing you are right where God wants you to be. And I'm just telling you, trusting God, being where he asks you to be, is the safest, most secure, most purpose-filled place you can be, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. So, don't trade something that looks appealing now for what you really want most. Whatever that thing is that you're resisting God over, would you surrender? Would you obey God? Would you leave the outcome in his hands? Because when you do, he takes full responsibility for the outcome of your journey. Will you stop bargaining, stop negotiating, stop resisting? And will you trust him? Let me pray for us. Father, it can feel so uncertain, so difficult to do this. And I don't know when the lives of each of us, what we're tempted to resist you right now to do, but whatever that thing is, it feels like a big deal. So would you give us the courage to step into the unknown, into the uncertain, out of our comfort zones, and to trust you and not resist you, to stop bargaining and to decide whatever you say, God, I'll obey, I'll follow, I'll do it, I'm going to trust you. And God, I just want to pause and thank you that we can be confident when we do that. You take full responsibility for the outcome of our journey. And thank you for making it so clear to us that you really do want what's best for us through it all. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey Calway app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church, be sure to visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.